And good evening, and welcome to the Wu Watch, episode one, The Rise of Wu. Now, I've had that name for a series in my head for months now, and so I'm so glad I get to finally say it out loud. I do also have plans for a similarly themed night show, and right now the best I have is Council Curious. And so I am begging someone to think of a better title than that. But until you do, mentally, that's what I'm going with. And this series will be very similar in structure and tone as one of my normal night shows. And it is meant to capture the new Wu administration. And this first episode is something that popped in my head after a conversation that I had on election night. And that was that Michelle's most impressive electoral win was not this past mayoral election, where she absolutely owned Anissa Asabi George. Her most impressive win was in 2013, when someone who rose from no family ties to Boston, no community ties to Boston, on an accelerated path of graduate school, law school, Menino administration, Warren administration, to becoming the second highest vote getter of the at-large race in 2013, something which is almost unheard of in politics, never mind in Boston. And so I had that conversation and made me think of, well, how did she do that? How did she accomplish it? And that is going to be the purpose of tonight's episode. This is not a biographical, though it will be somewhat biographical, as it more is peeling the years that Michelle Wu spent here in Boston before she won that election in 2013, and how that might give us some insight into who she is and how she'll govern. But before we get into that fun stuff, I'm going to talk a little bit about the transition. I'm going to answer some questions that I see building up in the chat, and then we'll get to that, the fun stuff, the, ve the vegetables. So for some transition highlights, I'm doing my best to follow what Michelle Wu is doing. She appointed Kim Janey as basically the head of her transition team, which does make a lot of sense because a smooth transition is absolutely vital that the current acting mayor is a part of it. So love that move. No problem with that move. It's very smart. And she named three co-chairs, of which... I believe Jay Gonzalez is one of them, who was the gubernatorial Democratic candidate against Charlie Baker. But n most notably, and I've spoken about this a little bit already, so we can uh, don't have to spend too much time on it. But as a massive positive, Mimi Ramos, who is the director for New England United for Justice, and anyone who has done any sort of organizing in Boston knows Mimi. She is incredible. She is a force. She is one of very few people that I can just kind of defer to mentally and say, whatever Mimi says, just, just do what Mimi says. Mimi knows more than, than we do. And I'm very excited that she is one of the co-chairs for Michelle Wu's transition. But as I also said when I was highlighting that, I forget if it was on Twitter or my 60 Seconds recap or whatever, you know, I also mentioned that it's tough to know what this means because in some ways this could be a symbolic position. I don't know how much say they have over the hiring of Michelle's staff because staffing is key. 
who you appoint as key. I'm blanking on the phrase now, but basically the people are the policy. And today I was now trending towards warning. A little bit of a red flag went off when I saw that Michelle Wu was going to reappoint Sheila Dillon, or Dillion, I apologize, as being the chief of housing, the director for the Department of Neighborhood Development here in Boston. And so I expressed my concern of that. And a lot of people pushed back, some that I have no idea who you are, others of people that are friends and people whose input I respect. And a lot of the phrases that I've heard about Sheila, besides my own experience with her, which I'll get into in a second, is that she means well, that she's doing the best that she can, that she really knows her stuff, that she is an ally. And to that, I say, not good enough. She has held this position for roughly nine years, which is running this department, has a lot of responsibilities, one of which is being the key advisor for housing to the mayor. And over the past nine years, we have seen the creation of the seaport. We have seen the approval and go ahead of Suffolk Downs. Rents have more or less doubled during that time frame. Nothing but luxury development and lab space. And again, I can hear the voices that she's doing the best she can. She can't be held solely responsible. And I don't hold her solely responsible. But if you are the key advisor to the mayor, you have a lot of other responsibilities as the chief of housing for Boston. As part of the mission statement, almost, it has to do with fighting against displacement. I don't think they use the word gentrification, but I'm going to use it here. And has failed in that task. And in my own experience with her, I have been to community meetings about developments where the community is on one side, where representatives from the BPDA, representatives from the developers, and Sheila are there. And very much so, Sheila was on the side of the BPDA and the developers. Mostly stressing the point that this was as good as we're going to get, so just take it. Why are you being mad at me? This is as good as you're going to get. To which, again, I say, that is not good enough in what I want to see in a new administration, especially one in which housing is one of the central planks. And my, my biggest concern is, again, not as what is in our hearts of hearts. I have no doubt that she could absolutely lap me where it comes to the sophistication of housing policy in Boston. My biggest concern is what is going to be, and somebody asked me in the chat, what is your priority for this new administration? And by that, I don't mean my, me personally, what I want this administration to do. But the biggest fight that we're going to see very early in 2022 is what is the future of the BPDA, the Boston Planning Development Agency in Boston? And for nine years in this role, previous before that, Sheila has worked alongside members of the BPDA. I have no doubt that she has friends there. I have no doubt that she has strong interpersonal relationships with people who work there. And if we are gearing up for a fight, which could call for the complete abolishment of this agency, I do not want someone who is going to be the key housing advisor to Michelle to be arguing anything against it. I don't want her to think about her friends and coworkers that work there. I want someone new who looks at that agency, not in terms of, well, the people are doing the best that they can. I want someone who looks at that agency with scorn, who wouldn't blink if it means everyone from that agency gets fired. Because that level of intensity is what it's going to take if you really do want to abolish the BPDA. 
And I'm not saying that has to be the measurement. You can keep the agency and do massive restructuring of it. And I'm going to get to that in another episode. But I do not want someone with those ties. I do not want someone who's been in this position for nine years, who have given it their best, and this is what we've had. Doesn't mean I think she's a bad person. Doesn't mean that I think Wu is a sellout or she's already betrayed what she said or any nonsense like that. Very just quickly saying that as I'm seeing the transition team building, it is a little bit of a warning. It is a red flag that we are keeping the same people, especially when it comes to something with housing. So I hope that is my articulation of the quick little red flag tweet that I sent out earlier. And I see some people making comments in the chat. Again, I think it was uh, Johnny3000 asking what is the priority for this new administration. It's going to be housing. And what is Michelle willing to do with the BPDA? I don't know if this fight is going to come before, during, or after the budget. But the budget is going to be massive to see what is a Wu administration budget look like. What will the Boston City Council do with the new power they have with the SR1? Will the Boston City Council be working in concert together to strengthen Wu's budget in a progressive uh, direction? Are they going to use their power to working in concert to make it more conservative? Again, th those dynamics. But I want to see what are we going to do with housing? Are we going to stick with the status quo? Or are we going to do a radical change in how we do housing in Boston? And right now, with this appointment, I'm a little worried. Um, I'm going to read some more of the comments and then want to get to the fun stuff. Ba -ba -da -ba, who is Sheila? I just answered that. Um, Max and Hoff, pretty compelling argument, to be honest. Bigly, Jilly, Mom, good luck in Boston. Everyone got their jobs because of who they know. It's more or less true. Um, HHH button. I saw an opposition ad saying we wanted to cut T funding. Is that misleading? Yes, that was incredibly misleading and disingenuous. The only thing, not the only thing, but the, one of the primary things we know about Michelle Wu is that she wants massive investments in public transportation. That was a misleading ad done by Real Progress, a super PAC on behalf of Anissa, which rather than saying correctly that Michelle voted no on the budget last year because she wanted more funding, for the MBTA, they said, oh, she voted no on the budget because she wanted less. Disingenuous, that's why Anissa, for many reasons, got owned in the uh, general election. But, all right, back to the main theme of tonight, the rise of Wu. How did Michelle go from relative obscurity, and as always, the intro music, if you come early, it's from my buddy uh, Ryan Scally and his one-person band, Miracult, how did Michelle go from relative obscurity to coming in the second overall vote getter for the Boston City Council? And so to answer this question, let's first just look at some of the results. This is from the preliminary, which was on September 24th of 2013, of which it's a little tough to get it all in one spread, so you're able to read, so you can just trust me. Anissa, oh, I'm sorry, Ayanna Presley is the number one vote getter in the prelim. She's at 42,000, just under 43,000. I think we have down in second place, Michael Flaherty, who was already on the council, ran for, I think, the mayor of Boston in 08, and now is trying to get back on the council. So he gets close to just under 40,000. We have Stephen uh, Murphy, uh, an incumbent, 31,000. And then we have Michelle Wu, at 29,000. She gets that fourth place spot for the prelim. 
and the next closest person is all the way down at 15,000, I think, uh, Martin. So a massive, massive break in terms of Tier 1 and Tier 2 candidates. Again, how did Michelle, from relative obscurity, and we're going to flesh this out, how did this happen? And now look at from September 24th to November 5th. Number one vote getter is Ayanna Presley at 60,000. Just beneath her at 1,000 less votes is Michelle Wu comes in second in the general election for the at-large. And th this is, again, shocking. Because you could argue that, one, it had to do with the opportunity, very similar to this election. You had an open race for mayor that had a lot of the at-larges move up to try to get that mayoral spot. You had district-level councilors trying to move up. You had all these vacancies. You could maybe even try to argue Ruthsi accomplished a similar feat in this election. But she's from here. Michelle did not have neighborhood ties, a big family, close friends, even though, again, I'm sure she had friends. She had none of that. Second place. And for some basic biographical stuff, very quick highlights. 2003, she graduates from high school in Illinois, valedictorian, goes to Harvard, graduates Harvard in 2007, studied economics, instantly gets a job at the Boston Consulting Group from 2007 to, I think, 2009. She moves back. She takes care of her mother. She takes care of her two younger sisters. 2009, comes back to Boston to get her law degree at Harvard. Her family comes with her. 2010, she's now working for the Menino administration. 2012, she's now on Elizabeth Warren's campaign, who was a professor when she went to Harvard Law. 2013, second place finisher in the at-large race. Just from that, shocking. Doesn't make sense in terms of how we understand politics, how she was able to do that. And so what I first want to go through is as impressive as what I just said, that timeline. Not only, again, was she taking care of a family, but she was doing all of these different volunteer efforts throughout the city while she is at Harvard Law, while she is in, I mean, maybe during the Menino administration. I'm going to get to what her role was there. But so just, and these are all articles that I took from 2013. So this one from the Mission Hill Gazette on January 11th, 2013. This goes into her history. Wu eventually decided to go back to school and enrolled at Harvard Law School. She moved back to Boston and brought her two sisters and her mother was still ill. Wu was extremely active during the law school days. She served on the boards of the, and please forgive the pronunciation, Kwangkao Chinese School in Chinatown and the South End Puerto Rican Veterans Mon Monument Square Association. Just pause there. While she's in law school, while she's taking care of her family, she is on the board of a school in Chinatown. And again, at this point, I think she's living in the South End. So she's living in the South End, on the board of a school in Chinatown, is now also on the board of the South End Puerto Rican Veterans Monument Square Association. That, especially that last one, is a big... 
she she has her eye on something. And even beyond that, reading the next line, Wu also helped low-income entrepreneurs and nonprofits with transaction law at the legal services of Harvard Law School in Jamaica Plain. So now she not only is she sitting on boards in Chinatown in the South End, but she is also helping businesses in Jamaica Plain. And this really explains, and I want to go back for a second, just how dominant Michelle was in basically all wards across the city. Because this is what we saw with the general election, that Michelle cleaned up all over the city. We have uh, Ward 1, which is, I believe, in East Boston. Michelle comes in second place. Ward 2, Charlestown. Michelle comes in third place. Let's look at um, some fun ones. Uh, Alston Brighton, 21-22. Where is she at? 21. Oh, it's tough to do with the, <laughs> with the screen. What is she? Sixth down, 21. She gets the number one vote. Uh, 20, 19. Looking closer to like the Rosendale area. I correct on that. Yes. 20 and 19. Michelle, first place in one, second place in the other. So her win in 2013 is all over the place. And I think you have to go to the eastern part of Dorchester, where all the white cops live, that Anissa won, to get any area of the city where she might not be in the top four. Let's just very quickly check that. So we're looking at Ward 16. Michelle Wu comes in at 2100. She gets that fourth place spot, just barely squeaks out fourth place. So and that's her weakest area is one of the most conservative, even West Roxbury. Let's look at that really point, get this home, which was 20. She won. She won West Roxbury in 2013. So her win is all over the place. And again, what she is doing while she is in law school is also all over the place. Boards in Chinatown, South End, working with Puerto Rican veterans, now an in with the Puerto Rican community, an in with the veterans community. She's helping businesses in Jamaica Plain. Also during this, she is helping at the Medical Legal Partnership at Boston Medical Center on immigration cases for survivors of domestic violence. Well, she was a student an undergrad at Harvard, she was spending her time volunteering in Chinatown. So she has been, again, not just working in this community, but all over, spread out, volunteering, making connections with businesses, making connections with veterans groups, with minority groups, with schools in Chinatown. And that leads up to some of the, her one-two punch, which puts her in this situation, which is her roles with the Menino administration and with Elizabeth Warren. So with the Menino administration, which again, I think she joined around 2010, she was in charge of restaurant permitting and food trucks, which in a city is a massive, massive responsibility because now she is coordinating with almost every restaurant, every entrepreneur who wants to start a food truck, which I believe in this time, there's like a massive craze for so she is making connections in the business community, in the, rest, in the restaurant community, while working under the Menino administration. 
And then that leads her to, in 2012, when she is with the Warren administration. What is she doing? Is she cutting turf? Is she just knocking on doors? No. She was the constituency coordinator for the campaign, for Elizabeth Warren's campaign for Senate, where she worked with communities groups, LGBTQ community, veterans, women groups throughout Boston. So do people get kind of the trend that I am trying to paint? That Michelle Wu, how she was so successful in 2013, didn't just come from the part that she is brilliant, which I absolutely believe is true. It wasn't just that she had connections with Tom Menino and Elizabeth Warren. It is that from probably since 2009, if even before that, if you want to count when she was volunteering as an undergrad, she has been building connections with multiple different groups throughout the city. And then in her work with the Menino administration, she's making connections with small businesses and restaurants. And with the Warren administration, she is literally in charge of constituency coordination, literally the person. So she is amassing an incredible Rolodex, an incredible amount of goodwill all over the city, which is probably the most impressive thing about her is how spread out she is in Boston. And this is why when she does announce and they have her big kickoff, and again, I'm reading articles from 2013. This is from Blue Mass Group, which might still be, but is, yes, it still is like a blog. This is before like social media, really. Um, it, it is a great blog on uh, Boston politics, but it's like a who's who at that time. Everyone basically knew that like Michelle was going to be Michelle. And I'm sure it helped that Elizabeth Warren was running that campaign. Well, I'm sorry, I was in the middle of her campaign the year before. And so there are multiple city councilors there, John Connolly, Tito Jackson, Mike Ross. There are multiple state representatives there. Uh, Jeffrey Sanchez, that's a great um, little bit of trivia. There are candidates for state representative. You have Songya Chang Diaz was there. You have Sheriff Steve Tompkins, who I know she's remained close with uh, to this day. So it was like this massive who's who party for all of these um, stars. And as Elizabeth Warren said, a young woman who is the future. And what I really want to get across, and I think her calendar, her agenda of how she campaigned also points just to really how much she was making these interpersonal connections with ethnic groups, religious groups, LGBTQ community, women, veterans, small businesses. So here was her itinerary. This is from the northendwaterfront.com. August 6, 2013. Here's her itinerary for one day. Toward Save That Stuff, Recycling Plan in Charlestown to Discuss Environmental Sustainable Issues. Greeted South Boston residents and commuters at Andrews Station to discuss public safety. Visited Boston Chinatown Neighborhood Center to highlight the need for access to more affordable early ed education. Toured the new site for the North Bennett Street School in the North End. Greeted East Boston residents near Maverick Square. Visited Faneuil Hall Law Library. Hosted a small business roundtable in Dorchester. Met construction workers in Dudley Square. Spoke with families at a playground in Jamaica Plain. Knocked on seniors' doors in West Roxbury. Visited youth-tended community garden in Mattapan. Greeted residents and communities at the Fairmont Commuter Rail in Hyde Park. Dined at the Village Susie with supporters in Roslindale. She was everywhere. 
That was one day. And why this is hitting home and why I wanted this to be the first episode is two different reasons. One is that Michelle has been on a relentless pursuit of power throughout Boston since probably 2009, let's just call it a decade. And the biggest question that we need answered is why? Because when I say pursuit of power, I'm not saying that as a negative at all. I like the chemistry definition of power, which is the ability to make change. And her level of determination of knowing how to make contacts, and she's incredible at one-on-ones and interpersonal relationships. Again, from 2009 to 2013, she basically had a roadmap, followed it, and was the second most vote-getter in the at-large election. That is incredible. And yes, she had... Again, Elizabeth Warren, Tom Nino as mentors. But that is pure focus and drive and knowing what needed to get done to win. And again, the question is, why? What is she going to use her intellect for, everything she's worked towards at the city council, her blowout mandate election for this mayoral race? What are we going to see? Is it going to be just increments of maybe we'll make things a little bit better. Maybe we'll tweak on the edges. Maybe we'll get some more policy programs. We'll get some uh, studies done for some great things. Or will it be a radical transformation of different elements of how we do housing in this city, of how we do climate resiliency, of how we do transportation, of how we view policing? So, And we're going to find out. We're going to find out by the middle of 2022, I think we're going to have an answer to that question. And the second reason I wanted to do this segment is because, to me, one of the biggest lessons learned from doing, in, I don't know, helping as a super volunteer, we'll call me, for 12 different campaigns throughout Boston, Cambridge, Somerville, and Medford, is we, and by that I'm just going to label the left, is incredibly good and talented at door knocking, at canvassing, at phone banking, and mobilizing volunteers. I think our organization does that better than any in the city, to be honest. But we are missing a massive element, and that is to build those interpersonal connections with religious, ethnic, racial, identity groups throughout the city, small business groups throughout the city even. Because that is how Michelle almost single-handedly in just pure focus was able to achieve this. And I, I really hope we don't just learn that lesson, but we actually act on it. And before I leave you, I, I wanted to point uh, two other funny things I found while I was researching that little segment, but actually, hold on. I'm going to save that for a second. I'm um, just reading some comments. Um, People are t- um, tired of the same old people in the mayor position, question mark, but I'm going to just say that in the affirmative and say yes. Um, C. Sander, love your coverage. Thank you. H.H. Button, Wu was planning on visiting some Berkeley classes earlier this year. She really made herself known. Yeah, and th- that was what was funny about Anissa trying to hit her on Um, she doesn't spend time in this community. I'm the one who does. And then not only was there a poll uh, that said actually way more people have personally met Michelle, but as I just outlined, no, she went from interpersonal connections, volunteering across the entire city 
to then entering City Hall to then Elizabeth Warren's campaign, where, again, her responsibilities were to coordinate with every restaurant in Boston, to, con- uh, to coordinate with every constituent group in Boston. She made connections. She was everywhere. Um, Suck It Rand says, get owned. <laughs> but I don't know what that means, so it's pretty funny. Or oh, oh, when you sent that. And so one funny thing that I found uh, during this is that the Boston Herald endorsed Michelle Wu for her first run for city council. And also Ayanna Presley, if you can believe that, because they spend most of her time hitting her. Um, in the race for the four at-large seats, several of our endorsed candidates survived the preliminary election. We're pleased to repeat our support for incumbent Ayanna Presley, the only woman currently serving on the council, which again, at this time, it was only Ayanna Presley and then all white men. Michelle Wu has also won our support in the final. The South End resident is brimming with fresh ideas and is on the right side of the pending police arbitration deal, which she has criticized. And that's another funny aspect, is that for that election year, I think Menino in maybe 2012 signed what everyone left, mid, and center. And again, there really wasn't a left in 2012 or 2013. I mean, outside of the Occupy, and I love you all, Occupy. There was a very generous police deal that everyone criticized for how ridiculous it was. And so, yeah, uh, Wu got the Herald endorsement. Another little funny tidbit I found was reading here. This is from the Bay State Banner, written in October 23rd of 2013. Uh, one, um, Wu says she would work to streamline the permitting process for building new housing to make it less expensive for community development corporations to build affordable housing. Look at this, we're still in the same conversation. One affordable housing initiative Wu will not likely support is rent control. They quote her now. The research I've seen shows that rent control tends to suppress values in the region, she says. And... It's perfect because, again, this is 2013. I think Michelle was still, and everyone in 2013 was against rent control outside of, you would have had to have been very, very plugged in to housing community organizing to not uh, be in support of rent control. That was not a policy that you heard in government. But it is funny that we still hear that today. And I think, and I think up till 2019, Maybe even uh, Michelle was against rent control and something in there switched. And maybe it's because, again, t- thinking of this quote, research I've seen shows that rent control tends to suppress value in the region. Is suppressing value the most important measurement when we're talking about housing? And I think back in 2013, for people to be like, oh, yeah, of course, this is all about property value. That's what housing is. And I, I think this audience understands where I'm leaning towards that. So I'm glad Michelle is on the right side of that. And that is going to end the first episode of the Wu Watch. I hope you all learned something. And again, I am very excited for a Wu administration. I think people need to be ready to be a little tough, especially during the transition where hiring staffing is being made who michelle staffs is going to dictate the policy she pursues going to dictate to what level of intensity is she going to i have had nothing but 
pleasant and great conversations with Michelle. I think the last time I saw her was the day of the prelim, and I shared with her some charcuterie. And so, yeah, I'm hoping to use whatever minor platform I have to just keep a focus on her administration. I think next week's episode, which probably will be Wednesday, but we'll see. I want to look back on what was some woo policies that she ran on that was as part of her campaign website so that we have some measurements of what we can do. And as always, I'll continue to update with the transition the best I can. And so with that, I'm going to say goodbye to my podcast uh, listeners. Take care. Five stars. My Venmo is in my link tree. If you want to send me a couple bucks, I always appreciate it. And uh, yeah, like, subscribe. I don't know. Do the things. Take care.